right. Well, praise the Lord and appreciate what God's doing in my children's lives. And I've thought so many times over the last couple of years as I just watched the kids grow up and go off to college or you know, play a special in church that it is honestly and truly 100% to God be the glory. And, you know, I think you understand as a parent, um, as a parent, you have to do your best, have the right priorities, and focus on the most important things. But ultimately, when the day is done, if it's not God, it's just not going to happen. And I do appreciate, I appreciate Simeon's testimony. Actually, he shared that this morning uh, with the young people. And uh, those were not just um, thoughts that he pulled together. Those are realities that he's proved in his life. And I really do appreciate, as he's finished high school, be heading off to college here uh, this fall, um, I've seen that in his life, the reality of seeking God and how it's led to a cleansing and uh, just that settled uh, walk with God. And uh, that's a real blessing. Um, I just want to commend you all as a church, and uh, I enjoy coming to Canaan Baptist. Uh, You all are uh, just a remarkable group of people. And uh, I was trying to explain this last night, don't know if I did it well, but uh, you are a church of, you know, whatever, 170, whatever you are, that literally puts out like a church of 500. And uh, every single aspect of what you do here tends to be like three times what you'd expect uh, from a church your size. And it's really very impressive to me. Um, the, The way that the choir sings, the way that the instrumentalists are playing, the men that are in back, uh, you know, doing security, just everything, uh, the graphics, uh, but more than anything, you sense that there's a unity in the church, and uh, that it's not just, like Pastor said, it's not just a group that's doing it, it's like the whole church family does it, and I think that's why uh, your church is able to, to present as such a significant uh, such a significant ministry output, and uh, that is actually accommodation for you. Obviously, it tells quite a bit about your preacher, talks about the leadership team uh, that God's assembled around him, but ultimately it does uh, really bear testimony to what God's doing in your lives. I just want to encourage you to stay unified, stay all in, and uh, there's really no end to what God can do. And I think God's going to challenge us with some of those thoughts here uh, tonight. Super Scrub was a blessing. Uh, we started Super Scrub at Falls Baptist in 2003, so it was quite a few years ago. And uh, it's been successful for us. I might have shared this in May, not like you remember that, but in May, I think I shared that over the times that we did Super Scrub, over the, I think we did maybe 17 seasons of it, something like that, uh, we earned about a quarter million dollars through Super Scrub. And that was year upon year, of course, not in one year. That'd be a great fundraiser. Uh, quarter million. But, you know, year upon year, I think we ended up making about a quarter million dollars, and it was highly successful. As I was talking to Yusef yesterday, he was asking for some comparisons. And, um, you know, as I looked at your two locations and considered just the the different workers, the the younger ones, the parents that were there and others, um, when we would do it uh, back in the day at Falls Baptist, we had a few more teens at that time um, than were able to, to be a part of what happened yesterday. And actually in our four locations, we'd have upwards of maybe a dozen teens per location. And uh, just thinking about just raw um, energy, uh, that's a lot of energy to put at each location. And then you'd have some, some older folks helping and a couple little. But uh, what I saw happen yesterday at both of your locations, I would say in a certain sense, uh, your energy easily equaled what we were doing back in the day with mostly teenagers. The other reality is what happened back in the day, it was mostly 
teenagers that were doing it. But yours was a whole church effort. And I think that actually speaks volumes. Uh, not that only teens is a bad thing, but when the whole church is involved, I think the whole church just owns it different. And that's what I sensed yesterday. It was just a broad spectrum of people there. And it was really a blessing. Um, the other thing, too, is when I found out that you were getting $40 per car, which is essentially a $20,000 fundraiser, I think the first year we did Super Scrub, we only netted about $20,000. And so that means your first year, you were right on par with our first year. And again, not to be funny in my comparisons, but the actual uh, manpower uh, source that we came from was significantly more than what you started with just people-wise. And the fact that your first super scrub, you matched what we did in our first super scrub, this is a little hard to quantify, but in a certain sense, that was also double the output because with probably half the people, you, you equaled what we got our first year. That's impressive. So I would dare say that what I saw happen at Canaan, uh, this year was super scrub, year number one, first annual uh, super scrub car wash. Uh, I think you far exceeded my expectations for sure and uh, very encouraging. Um, I think next year some of the thoughts we had after washing in probably the hottest day of <laughs> what maybe not the hottest day of your summer but it was pretty hot. Um, you know probably late July is not the optimum time to do an all-day outside car wash and I think we knew that we knew that in the spring when we were talking about the event but it was just the the, the timing to get everything pulled together uh, when we first started talking I think it was probably in maybe March or, or late April and uh, boy, we were just trying to think through how to pull it, and we just couldn't get it in time. So we'd rather start it and wash at a, maybe an awkward time of the year and at least get the ball rolling. I think next year, uh, if, if you all you know, just keep moving forward with it, I believe the car wash will be more what we had initially thought, probably in late May, uh, early June. And I have a feeling that's going to be, a, it might still be warm out, but the sun won't be quite as direct at that point. It'll just be a little bit a little bit better time of year. And so sponsoring next year should be more of a spring activity. Uh, right as we come through like the spring break time, kids will start getting sponsors. And the good thing about having done it once is a lot of time those businesses will do it again. And so you've already got a base to go th uh, from for your sponsor and then get new ones. And uh, so that'll help. And then the other thing that as we realized yesterday, uh, there was enough of you working. If we added just a couple of more, uh, you could easily have done three locations. And uh, really, there was probably, this is going to sound funny if you were one of the car washers, there was probably too many people at each location. And what happens when you have too many is then people just are not as efficient because they're not sure who's doing what. And I think we could have actually streamlined each location and almost done a third yesterday. And I think you understand if you would have still had a goal of 500 cars divided by three locations, that would have made the day just so much more manageable. So next year, the goal would be three locations still to wash 500 cars and uh, hopefully at a more optimum time of the year uh, to be outside in the sun. So I think you guys have a great potential for the future uh, going forward, and uh, let's, uh, let's just trust the Lord for that. Now, we do need to pray about collecting. Now, when the letters go out, uh, it is just a matter of really it getting you know, in, into the right hand at the right time to get the money back. And, and uh, so let's just pray that it all comes in. And uh, we will send a couple of letters, and there's a process to get it all. And even back in, at Falls, we'd get probably 95% of pledges. So it's not that it really does come in, but it takes a little bit of work. And so just pray that folks uh, see the letter right away, pay up right away, and that'll help you to get that playground put in uh, really sooner than later. It'd be great for the school year to get that playground up sooner than later. And I want to comment on just one more thing, and that would be our upcoming Israel trip. And I'm just curious, how many of you have been to Israel? Has anybody here been to Israel before? 
All right, Will's been before. All right, that's good. All right, you've been before, sir. Okay, all right, good. And uh, the Israel trip, as you can see, it is, uh, it's not a small amount of money, and I grant that. It's uh, $5,500 on your slide there. And, uh, but let me just say about the Israel trip, it is a first-class trip. And I've been there four times. This will be my fifth time to Israel. I was telling uh, Brother Autry today that I never weary of it. I've been to a lot of different countries over the years as youth pastor and just uh, for various reasons. But there's just nowhere in the world, literally, biblically, nowhere in the world like Israel. And uh, you never grow weary of it. Uh, my thought of going again in March, I'm just already excited. Now, I haven't been for a few years because of COVID, but it is such a special place. And uh, when God talks about being, that being the place that he puts his name, speaking of Jerusalem, it's true. It's really hard to explain until you're there and you're experiencing this land that God loves. And uh, it is an investment. That's a lot of money. I grant you that. It's a lot of money. If there's any way that you can find the money to go to Israel, it is an investment worth making. And it's not just a trip. It's not just 11 days or 12 or whatever it works out to be. It's not just something you do. It literally does change the way you read the Bible. And don't misunderstand me. You can get everything God wants you to get out of the book, whether you've seen the land or not. Okay? It's not like some pilgrimage requirement like other religions have. But I will say, once you've seen it, you do read the Bible different. And uh, being at the different places where Jesus walked, especially up in the Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his ministry in those cities right around the Sea of Galilee, uh, it's just powerful. It's quiet up there. And it's just a beautiful place to remember the, the teachings of Christ and then to go to Jerusalem and spend the days remembering what Jesus did in his passion, of course, his death on the cross, and then being at the tomb that is truly empty. And we have every reason to believe the tomb that we visit is the very tomb that Jesus was buried in. And we explain it actually on the trip why we believe that is the very spot. And even if it wasn't, we do know the tomb is empty. But the tomb we go to is in a beautiful garden, and it's empty. And uh, there's just something about being in that place and realizing that the one that we have trusted in for eternal life isn't there. He's up there. Amen. And it's a great thing. So I just want to make a little pitch, and I know there's a few of you that are planning to come right now, and that's great. And uh, we do these trips every two years. And, uh, but this is the year that your pastor's going, and, uh, and Brother Autry. I mean, good night. What more do you need to know? Um, but this is the year your preacher's going, and uh, I'm sure it'll be a blessing just to have him along. In fact, we've asked him uh, to do some speaking on the trip. And uh, so part of how we design the Israel trips is a little bit like a Bible conference. And uh, that's on purpose. It's not just a sightseeing trip. Um, our guide is very well versed in the sights. He's been doing it for a number of years. His name is Shimon. And I've been with him two times. And he's a great teacher. Very interesting. And has a lot of really uh, corny jokes. And uh, that's, what, what, what more do you want from a tour guide than a bunch of really corny jokes? But uh, he's fun to be with. But being at key sites... And uh, taking time to open the Word and spend actual service amount of time uh, going through some of those sites, uh, it's just powerful. So, uh, final pitch on it. If you can figure out any way to come, you will, you will definitely agree when you're back, that was a worthy investment. And some of you are younger and single. You don't have families yet. And you say, well, I don't got any money. That's probably true. But if there's any way to find a way to do it, uh, sometimes the younger you are, the better it can be. Uh, because you don't have some of the other complications of, of children and, and a job, uh, we've had over the years a lot of young single people go, and then a lot of folks that are in a different stage of life where they can travel more easily. And uh, so either one of those groups, or even if you're uh, in a totally different category, just want to encourage you to join us on that Israel trip.
All right, I want you to find Ecclesiastes chapter 11, if you would, please. Ecclesiastes 11. If you haven't figured it out yet, life is full of uncertainties. In fact, nothing is certain, they say, except for death and taxes, right? Isn't it true? Uh, nothing is certain in life except for death and taxes. Um, and uh, I thought of this phrase, I, I'm sure that nothing is sure. I'm sure that nothing is sure. And in life, it's just full of uncertainties. And uh, remember, the, the writer says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James says a similar thing. He says, he says to, the, to the wealthy merchant that says, today or tomorrow, we'll go here and do that. He says, but you don't know uh, what a day is going to bring forth. And uh, the reality is, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Life is full of uncertainties. This chapter and these verses that I want to focus on tonight uh, actually began to percolate in my brain right around the summer of 2020. Do you remember the summer of 2020? I do. Uh, that was an interesting summer. Of course, 2020 began with some very interesting events like the impeachment of our president. Uh, that was interesting. Did you remember that? That was so long ago that almost that one little incident just came and went because within weeks we were all locked down with COVID. And as if that wasn't bad enough, when things seemed like they were going to maybe ease up, of course, then uh, our world uh, literally was on fire uh, through different protests and so on. And I remember feeling a little bit of, the, of just the burden going into the summer of uncertainty. Well, I'd like to say since that time that our world has stabilized. What do you think? Do you think we've become more stable since the summer of 2020? Hardly, right? Hardly. Uh, why? I just keep scratching my head looking at the news headlines and you just think, what is happening? Uh, do you, I don't know if you read the news. I know some people say, I just don't want to pay attention anymore. Uh, but, you know, honestly, you probably should keep up some. Uh, but, you know, you read headlines, you read what's happening, you think, is this even possible? How, how can people be thinking this way? Like, where did this come from? Talk about left field. Uh, this is like left field in the bleachers. Like, why is this happening? And uh, almost every day, I just read a, a headline today about how they're going to raise the tax rate. And you think, what? Are they trying to destroy our country? I don't know. Wow, I don't know. Okay, I don't want to be too political. Sometimes it feels like it. Do you know there's so many things that are happening in just like a political uh, realm that you think, this is not this complicated. Why are we making it this complicated? And I will withhold my thoughts on particulars, but there's so many things that you think, this does not need to be this complicated. So uh, all the way through, I might uh, make some allusions to more of a political uh, landscape, but the point I want you to get from this is not political. I do want to challenge you with the reality of uncertainty and how we're supposed to go for it, even if things are uncertain. Um, I want you to, to notice from this passage that we are to put our unreserved all into what Jesus Christ is doing in and through our lives, because when you do, you can't lose. Put your unreserved all into what Jesus Christ is doing in and through your life because when you do, you can't lose. Uh, because you don't know the future, don't try to predict it. Go for it. Do you know, have you ever looked at the past or considered the present and think, well, what about if in the next couple of months... Da, 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 da? Have you ever tried to predict the future? Come on, you all have. 
I have. You know, you kind of think, okay, if this goes like that or that goes like this. And how often are you right? Probably you're, you're more often wrong than right when you try and guess the future. It's really hard to predict the future. None of us are good at it. Because today is a day of such uncertainty, we can be tempted to hold out and hold on. But I want to challenge you tonight. Don't do it. Go for it. Go for it. This is the best day to go for it. Let me make one really quick little political illusion. Do you know our country is on fire? It really is. Um, not literally at the moment, but it was a couple of years ago. But we're seeing things happen in our country that as born-again Christians you think, where is this coming from? Uh, this is just outrageous what's happening. And uh, you feel the pressure against biblical Christianity. Do you feel it? You feel the pressure against you. You think, wow, why is this happening? But don't you realize in the last couple of months some things have happened that are head-scratchers? You think of when, when the administration changed and just the winds began to blow a different direction and you felt the pressure, would you ever had, have thought that Roe versus Wade would be overturned? No, I never did. I remember growing up and we had, you know, every once in a while you'd hear about, you know, this group. They'd be doing uh, picketing at the, at the abortion center and so on. And, you know, let's pray that Roe gets overturned. And I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. I never thought it would get overturned. That, there's no way. You know, that's just how it is. We're a culture of death. Oh, it's just going to be how it is. And it got overturned. Unbelievable. Do you know the Supreme Court made a ruling that supported prayer even in the public school venue? Really? Never would have thought that. I'm telling you, in January of 21, I would have never thought that. Unbelievable. We had a ruling that was in support of the Second Amendment. Really? I never would have thought it. So I'm saying that to say, you might think that you know the future and it's bleak. And I want to challenge you. We don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. And because we don't know the future, then according to this passage, go for it. So let's look together at Ecclesiastes 11. I'm going to read the first um, six verses, and we're going to focus on this. We're going to kind of take it out of order, but let me just read it here for you. It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, or how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh it all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they uh, shall be alike, whether they shall both be alike good. All right, because today is an uncertain today, we can be tempted to hold out and hold on. Go for it. Um, how many of you know the history of America? Kind of know the history of America. Here, there, a little bit, right? A little bit. And uh, how many of you know the future of America? You know, the truth is we don't. I just shared with you a couple surprising uh, Supreme Court decisions that a year ago, six months ago, we would have thought, it's not happening. Do you know we don't know the future of our own country? We don't know the future of the world, but we do know the opportunity is before us today. Um, my wife and I have often commented to our kids that we are parenting not them, but we're parenting their children. And we've said it at family altar. I think my kids have heard me say it enough that they understand my point in that is uh, when I'm looking at my seven kids 
at the table and we're doing family devotions and we're praying together. And I say something like that. I'm not parenting you. I'm parenting your children. I want my kids to know from the earliest of their days that we're thinking generational. And uh, the reality is I'm not just burned about my kids loving God, serving God, going on for God. I want their kids to do that. And I want their kids to do it in such a way that they know how to teach their kids to do it. And I've told my kids this. I said, I want you to mark it down on the calendar. June 19th. Oh, no, I don't know the year, though. Uh, June 19th. Uh, um, let's see. We're married in 98. Uh, 68. Okay, June 19th, 2068. You can mark it down, too. You're all welcome to come. June, uh, June 19th, 19, uh, 20. Okay, hold on. June 19th, 2068. All right, June 19th, 2068. That'll be mine and my wife's 70th wedding anniversary. And it's going to be a really special day. You're welcome to come. Um, I don't know where it's going to be, but it'll be a nice place, hopefully. And uh, that's going to be a very special day for my wife and me because we're going to celebrate our 70th wedding anniversary. And at that point, I will be 92. 92. That's not bad. Brother Childs, what do you think? 92? It's good. All right, 92. My wife will be a young 91. And uh, so that'll be a special day, our 70th wedding anniversary. Looking forward to it. And literally, you are invited. I'll make sure to get an invitation to you. And uh, I've talked to my kids about my 70th wedding anniversary because I really want them to do it upright. I want it to be a really special day. And I want them to, to make, it, make it really special for my wife and me because we're going to be celebrating 70 years together. That's a long time. How many of you have been married 70 years? Anybody here? 70 years? All right, then you all ought to come because you've got to see what it's like. So 70 years married. It's going to be a special time. And I've told my kids to celebrate, and I want them all to be there. I think it would be really important for me if they're all there. At my 70th wedding anniversary, my wife and me, we're going to both celebrate it. Um, my son Judson will be 68, and uh, that will be great. Man, he'll be a good old man. Of course, I'll be older, but he'll be 68. If you're 68, I don't mean you're old. I'm saying old in that sense, whatever, comparatively. Uh, Michaela will be 66. So where's Michaela? Right there. She's signing. She'll be 66, fresh, ready to go, and down and down. But I kind of thought this. Let's pretend that each of my kids ended up having, I have seven. What if each of my kids ended up having five? Okay, now I don't know how many kids they're going to have. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll each have seven. But if they each have five, let's just say each of my kids have five kids, all right? And so Judson is 68. He's got his five kids. Of course, if he's 68, I'm assuming his kids are by and large married at my 70th, mine and my wife's 70th wedding anniversary. And uh, actually, very conceivably, his kids will have kids. So my son, very potentially at our 70th wedding anniversary, will have uh, his own grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And so I kind of did some math and figuring, what if it was this, what if it was that, and kind of put it together, and, and uh, based on five each, and this and that, and their age, and so on and so forth, and whatever, whatever. Um, when I did that, I figured on my, mine and my wife's, it's not just mine, we're going to be sitting at a chair in the middle of some room. Uh, well, she could be, yeah, sitting chair side by side, not her on my lap, which wouldn't be so bad either. But, um, so we'll be sitting on these chairs. This is the whole plan. I'm telling you, you can come, you can watch. We're going to have these two chairs sitting in the middle of the room, and I want to take a family photo. I'm pretty excited about it. And we're going to be sitting in these two chairs. Hopefully they'll be cushy. 
And uh, all my family around me, so Judson and his clan, and Michaela and her clan, and Simeon and his clan, and all the kids around me, all their, all their kids, whatever grandbabies are there. And uh, based on my calculation and my formula, there will be 256 people surrounding my wife and me that day. Now, I know you understand this point, but at 91 and 92, with 256 people standing around me, of course, you all can come too. Um, you're just not going to be in the family photo. But with you all standing around, uh, with all my kids standing around, do you know at that point when I'm 92 and my wife is 91, do you know what's really going to matter the most? The 256 people around me in that picture. What what car I drove there at that point is not going to matter just as long as I got there. It'll be probably one of those little buses that comes and picks up my wife and me. Um, you know, honestly, what, 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 even what house we're living in at that point, we're probably living in the basement of Judson at that point, you know. It, none of that will matter. None of that will matter. You know what will matter are, the, are those lives around me. And, of course, what we did for God. Now, okay, you think about the year 2022. 2068, that's a lot of years away. And you feel like we are never going to get to 2068. And you know what? I can't promise you we will. I, well, I can promise you we're going to go on for at least 1,000 years plus. But I don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to be at a 2068 in the church age? I don't know. You don't know either. But I have made a decision that though I don't know, and though it might feel like we're never going to get there. We're at the end, brother. Jesus is coming back within the next two years. Come on, look at what's happened to Russia and Turkey. And it's all, you know, just like the Bible says, listen, we don't know. You don't know. And I have made a decision that I'm going to live my life for mine and my wife's 70th wedding anniversary because if I don't live a life with trajectory for the big picture and just live inching by inching by inching through life, then I'm going to miss the big thing God wants to do. So we live in a very uncertain day. I get it. I get it. Even though it's uncertain, my challenge for you and the challenge from this passage is go for it. Let me give you four things real quick, just real quick. Four things. I want you to notice first in verse number three, the laws of nature. The laws of nature, it says in verse 3, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. These are kind of obvious statements, right? If a cloud is uh, full and, and is ready to let down, and it does, nobody's surprised by it. You know, those real dark clouds, and, and then all of a sudden it rains. You don't go, wow, that's amazing. That cloud let down the rain. You don't think that way. And if a tree falls, and it falls in the direction it was going, you don't look at it and go, that's remarkable. That tree went the way it was going. That's incredible. I think the point he's making here is there is a way that God created the world to work, and it works that way. There is a way that God created the world to work, and it works that way. This is not a political statement, but do you know that gravity works the same in China as it does in America? Do you know the laws of nature work the same everywhere around the world? There's not a different set of laws of nature over there than there are over here. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And so God has a natural way of working in his world that works for everybody. All of us need to recognize the laws of nature. Um, The framers of our Constitution use this expression, the laws of nature and of nature's God. And, of course, a lot of these men, they were not born again. Some were, some weren't. Uh, But they recognized 
that there's a creator God and he ordered his universe a certain way and they endeavored, and I believe this, they endeavored to set up a system of governance based on the laws of nature and nature's God. And by and large, it actually has worked very well. Our republic is a brilliant form of government. All right, because these men recognized there was laws of nature that governed how people think and act, and they wanted to uh, organize government around the laws of nature and nature's God. Um, God is always at work, and nothing can stop. Uh, God's ways always work, and nothing can stop them. So if that's true, then we ought to work according to them. And a lot of what we're seeing happen today in some of the gender confusion and even the pro-death culture, those are against nature. That's not how God made it. God didn't make it to be that way. And the reality is we should orient our lives according to the laws of nature. Uh, think about rain. It would be confusing if you saw those big, black, dark clouds and never got rain. It would be confusing. Yesterday when it rained, it wasn't surprising. The clouds looked like it and they finally let it go. Um, and you know when rain comes, you can't stop it. And the reality is you can't make rain either. I know there's some idea that, that you can manipulate the weather. and Maybe they can. I don't know. But ultimately, the weather does what the weather does. And uh, you, you think about climate change and all that. You know, the reality is the weather does what it does because that's how God made it to work. Do you know weather's bigger than we are? Remember the Hurricane Katrina? I don't remember how year, that was like 15 years ago, right? Hurricane Katrina. And uh, look at what it did. And who could stop it? Nobody could stop it. Because it was bigger than them. In my yard, we have some ash tree. And up where we are, I don't know if you have ash down here. We have ash tree up by us. And uh, this uh, bug came through called the ash boar. And it literally went through our whole area and took out essentially all of the ash trees. And I had three massive ash in my backyard, and they all died. They just all died. You can see it one season, they got weak, and the next season, boom, they're done. And uh, because of that, I had to take them down. I didn't want these dead trees in my yard. It seemed dangerous. And uh, I can remember the day we took them down. A friend came over, and we cut them. And, and uh, watching those trees fall, they were probably 40, maybe 40 feet tall. And uh, when those trees began to let go, they went the way they were going to go. Uh, it wasn't like halfway down, it all of a sudden went, well, boom, other way. No, when it was going, it was going down. And uh, there was nothing surprising about it. It was exactly what you'd expect. Now, of course, we had to be cautious, but when a tree falls, it's going to do what a tree is going to do. And once it fell, it was there. And it took a lot of work to get that tree cut up and moved away because once it fell, that thing was where it was going to go. And I don't want to overlabor the point, but I do want to start this by making this point, and that is that God made the world to work a certain way. And in the way God made it to work, it works. And I think we would do well to order our lives the way God meant for life to work. Um, when determining how to live your life, do it according to God's absolute economy, not man's. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when I was a kid, you may not even remember this, there was a television show when I was a kid that was called Out of This World. And uh, I don't remember a lot about it, except I remember that the girl could like put her hands together or something and stop time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember this show? It was dumb. Anyway, but I remember that, that somehow this girl could like put her hands together and stop time. And when I was in high school and I was really good at procrastinating and I got not getting my projects done, there were so many days I thought, man, if I could just stop time, 
get the project done, get it in on time. And do you know what? It doesn't work that way. Um, it doesn't matter how lazy you are and how much you want to try and stop time laser, uh, later. Uh, time's going to keep ticking on. And so the better thing to do in life is plan ahead, right? Work according to the reality of time, deadlines, all of that. Um, I can think of a lot of other things uh, that go along with that, but plan accordingly, work according to uh, the laws of nature. But there's something far more important than that. That would be this, secondly. I want you to look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. The first thing I do want you to consider is natural law, there is a, a way that God made the world to work. But secondly, and more importantly, um, you need to expect supernatural intervention. Expect it. There is actually an expectant reality <clears throat> that God is going to intervene. He uses the illustration of a child growing in a womb. And uh, though we might understand a lot about just uh, biology and how, it, how a, 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 a baby would form within the womb, do we really truly understand how it works no it's divine how god can literally take the union of a man and woman and create a whole new eternal soul and it's powerful and i think what the writer is trying to get across here is even though we need to realize there are some natural ways that life works we need to remember though that god is the one ultimately that's doing the work do you know nothing just happens nothing in life just happens it might feel like it might feel like that bad thing that happened just happened. But you know, nothing just happens. Do you know God is in control of everything that happens? You don't have to understand how God does something. But you do need to trust in the fact that he does. And I want you to consider, though, even though life might seem like it's just going on and doing its thing, God's doing something in life. Even the laws of nature assume the intervention of nature's God. And uh, God wants us to orient our life orient our lives trusting him that he's working out a bigger plan and uh, okay so don't slack off even if you get weary uh, galatians 9 says don't be weary in well-doing you will reap if you faint not so number one consider the laws of nature and orient your life by the laws of nature but number two recognize nothing just happens even in natural law and you've got to expect supernatural intervention which brings me to this point thirdly take risk Take risk. Look at verse uh, 6. Look at verse number 6. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. And the point he's making there is a point that I think we understand, and that is there's wisdom in diversification. Uh, when God gives you an opportunity, take it. And it's easy for us to live in the comfort zone and think, well, I understand this thing. I'm just going to do this thing. And when this opportunity comes up, we reject it because you don't know that opportunity. But I want to challenge you. Whatever it is, I'm thinking mostly ministry at this point, but whatever opportunity comes your way, you got to take it. And that's the point he's making here. He said, don't just be a, uh, just a one-trick uh, one show. Whatever comes to you, learn it, do it, diversify. And especially in ministry. Uh, if you have an opportunity, don't reject it because it feels like, well, I don't know how that works. Uh, that, that scares me. No, no, no. Diversify. Be as involved as you can be. But I want to go to verses 1 and 2 to make this point. He says this, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. 
Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Again, we're talking about predicting the future and that none of us are good at it. And because we can't predict the future, there's a tendency, this is true of all of us, because we can't predict the future, our tendency is to hold back, hold out, protect, because we don't know what's going to happen down the road. And I'm positive what God is saying is, don't live like that. If the opportunity is in front of you, take it. Take it all the way. Here he talks about thy bread. Notice it's not just bread in general. It's, it's thy bread. It's your bread. He said if it's yours, you're encouraged to, to take it and utilize it. Don't hoard it. Use it. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. They were given uh, something. They had something. And they were supposed to spend their something for the kingdom. And they withheld. Uh, they were hesitant. So they withheld some. Um, uh, think of it not just about money. Really think of it as just the stuff that you're stewarded with in life. It talks about waters. Cast your bread upon the waters. And uh, I would like to think of the waters as just the mass of humanity. Uh, just the opportunities that are out there. Cast your bread upon the waters. And it says you will find it again. How? It doesn't say. But you will. And it even goes on and says you will find it after many days. And it might be that at the moment that you uh, take the risk, it might seem like it's not producing or it's not working. Whatever it is, your time, your resources, um, and you think, I'm casting my bread. Where did it go? And the promise made is if you take the risk and cast the bread, it will return to you. And the idea I'm sure he's getting across is don't hoard, be generous. Whatever God's given you, be generous. Cast it, you will get it back. He goes on and he says this. He says, give a portion to seven. And also to eight. I'm not 100% sure what this would mean, but seven in the Bible does tend to be the number of perfection. And uh, so very possibly he's saying, in the fullest way, give. Don't hoard, give. In fact, go beyond. Give to eight. And I think the point he's making is don't hoard. Be, be generous. Give not just to seven. Give to eight. Um, I am One of my job duties back at Baptist College of Ministry is I oversee the food service. I don't do it. I'm just like the administrator of the kitchen crew. And uh, once a week I meet with our, our kitchen ladies and we just talk about menu and talk about what's coming up. And I just want to make sure everything's on track. I don't really do anything. I just meet with them and uh, hear them talk about uh, what's going on. And uh, our, our director of food service, her name is Carol Henry. I've known Carol for a long time. And uh, she and I are really good friends. And she has told me more than once that I am her eighth portion. That if seven would be like the most she can handle, I'm eight. I'm like more than the most that she can handle. And that's probably true. I'm probably her eighth portion. Um, and uh, but so here he's saying, he said, take that bread and whatever you have, whatever opportunities in front of you, whatever resources you've been given, don't hoard it. Spread it broadly. Lay up treasure in heaven. Uh, whatever is given cannot be lost. Um, our pastor tells a story about a man in his dad's church in Miami. And this man in his dad's church, this was back in the day, uh, he had quite a bit of wealth in the 1920s. And this man, according to the story, I don't know his name, uh, he had just incredible wealth in the 1920s. And through the close of the 20s into the early 30s, because of this factor and that factor, he lost everything. And according to the story my pastor has told, that his dad told him, that this man had an opportunity in the days of his wealth to give toward a significant building program at their church. And that man was tending toward hoarding, 
So he gave some. But uh, the story is told of that man, uh, unfortunately lost essentially all of his wealth, ending his life with a great regret that had he given more at that moment to the church when he could have, that that money that he lost would have been forever essentially settled in what the church is doing going forward. And even that's not so much a point about giving to the church, but that we can have a tendency to hoard because we don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen, and we can be nervous and hold back. And the honest truth is, friends, don't hold back. Go for it. Um, you've, heard the, uh, you've heard this phrase, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And uh, that's true in the spiritual life. It's true across the board. It's not so much about a quick return. It's about a sure return. To really possess, give. Now, let me give you one final thought, and this really is where I'm going with this. <clears throat> so, number one, you've got to live by the laws of nature, but expect supernatural intervention, and then take risk. Take risk, because if you don't, you're never going to gain. But I want you to notice, fourthly, this would be a warning <clears throat> and an injunction. Look at verse number four. I skipped over it when I was doing these other points. In verse four is the verse I want you to focus on. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And, of course, this is a farming illustration. I've never farmed. Um, I don't understand a lot about the, the whole of farming as a business. But it makes sense to me that there's a certain time of year you got to get the crop in the ground. you got to get the seed in the ground if you're going to reap at the right time of year. I'm assuming that's true. Does anybody in here farm? I'm sure I'm saying that fairly right, that there's a certain window of time. you got to get the seed in the ground. And if you miss that window, you're going to miss the harvest. And I can imagine, because I know how spring goes, spring is, is often a very uncertain weather time. Uh, you know, there's rains, there's winds, there's all that. And I could see how easy it would be for a farmer to get up, look out, outside, and go, mm, it's just not a good day for it. I'm just not going to do it today. I'll wait till tomorrow. And if you put off the thing you know you should do for the better day, you stand the risk of not doing it ever. And uh, if you wait for better conditions, you won't do it. Uh, Jeremiah 32 talks about Jeremiah being told to buy some land from a near relative at the very time Babylon was coming in to overtake the land. And it didn't make any sense. Why would he buy land that he knew was going to be overtaken? But God told him, buy this land, even though it doesn't make sense, because it's giving proof positive that you believe we're going to return. And uh, Jeremiah did it. He bought some land. And in the giving of that land or the exchange of that land, Jeremiah said this to God. He says, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy power and thy outstretched arm, and there is there's nothing too hard for thee. And Jeremiah knew in a very uncertain day, actually he was certain that things were going to fall apart. He lived for the bigger day. And Jeremiah, in that sense, would go for it. He went for it, even though it didn't make any sense. Um, you look about the, the landscape today, going back to a political thought. You know, you look at what's happening and you think, man, our country is, is so upside down. You know, what if the economy completely falls apart? Then where am I going to be? Uh, you know, or what if, uh, what, if, what if this really bad thing happens? Or what if we don't win back the house? Or whatever. And you can literally begin to hold back to wait and see what happens after. And I'm going to challenge you with this. If you wait until... The next day, and things are a little bit better to do the big thing for God, you're never going to do it. And I wonder how many times Christians don't do big things for God, in large part, because they're just waiting till it's a little bit more sure, a little bit more secure. Besides, we're kind of at the end of the church age anyway, you know. And I'm telling you folks, we don't know. 
What if we literally are two centuries away from Jesus Christ returning? I know it doesn't feel like that, but what if we are? Wouldn't it be tragic for you to be like the Thessalonian believers that think Jesus is coming is tomorrow, and so you're just hunkering down until he comes and miss the opportunity? That would be tragic. That would be tragic. Am I going to live to see my 70th wedding anniversary? I don't know. Are we going to be here for my 70th wedding anniversary? I don't know, but I'm planning for it. And I'm living for it. Because I would rather live my life for the big day, going for it, and let God work out the timing of all those things. The only regret you're going to have in life is that you didn't do more. Your biggest regret in life is that you didn't do more. Uh, we should have done so much more. And I just want to end by something I said when I was here in May. I talked about that widow and her uh, oil. I don't know if you remember, but I, I preached a message about uh, getting those vessels. And the only regret that that widow would have had was that she didn't get more vessels. And uh, I, I will grant you this is a very unsettling time. In our country, it's very unsettling. All it takes is 30 seconds in looking at headlines and you think, what is happening? And for that reason, we could hold back and, in essence, hoard our life. And I want to challenge you, this is if there was ever a day for you to go opposite of your instinct, rather than hoarding, going for it. I'm not even just talking about money, but I am talking about money. I'm not talking just about time, but I am talking about time. I'm talking about the stuff that life is made of. We can be tempted to hold it back, and the passages don't. Cast it on the waters. Give. Don't hoard. Give, give, give. And if you look and say, bah, I think a storm's coming. I don't know. This looks like a bad day. He said, if you read the wind, you're never going to sow. And if you don't sow, you're never going to reap. And I'm challenging you, church, with this. This might seem like a rocky fall. And even if it is, go for it. Don't wait until whatever happens at the midterms. I don't know what's going to happen at the midterms. You don't either. And can you imagine waiting four months to see what happens at the midterms before you go for it? You're going to miss it. Gang, this is the day for us to seize it. Don't hoard. Go for it. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that uh, this church here, as they wrap up their summer, head into the fall, whatever sort of outreach endeavors and ministry opportunities that you're putting before this group of people, Lord, I pray that across the board, everybody in this church would go for it. And uh, Lord, we do believe, well, we're looking outside, and it seems like there's a storm a-brewing. But Lord, we're not going to hold back on sowing because we have a mind to reap. And so Lord, I pray that, that we would just disregard what looks like a storm coming and we would just go for it. Give us the ability to cast our bread upon the waters because you promised us if we do, it'll come back to us in your time, your way. So we're not going to hoard, we're going to give, we're going to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name.